Looking to save your hard-earned cash? Fed up with the forever rising cost of everyday living and want to know ways of making the most of your money? Then this is the podcast series for you. Get expert advice from financial and consumer journalist Lindsay Cook, along with broadcaster Glenn Thompson. Welcome to the Mrs. Mean Money Show. Yes, and thank you for subscribing to our series. Very, very popular series, uh, getting lots of download numbers. People visiting the website as well. The website, of course, MrsMeanMoneyShow.co.uk. Uh, Lindsay Cook is Mrs. Mean. She's back in the studio. How are you doing, Mrs. Mean? You're looking very mean today, I've got to tell you. Oh, absolutely. The rain over the weekend made me even meaner. Ah, uh, good. Well, Mrs. Mean gets a lot of queries from, of course, podcast followers to this series and has decided to answer the most pressing in a Mrs. Mean Money Show clinic. Uh, the answers should help lots of you as uh, she looks at students who've lost out, the future of the housing market and suing your bank or other organisations. So what we thought we'd do today is look at the following areas. Claiming compensation for loss of university services. Uh, when will it be safe to buy a home? That's a big question for you. And uh, of course we'll take a look at uh, should you sue your bank or other companies that have ripped you off. Uh, the cheapest way to cook and can you get any compensation from universities for the lack of teaching and marking for students? Mrs. Mean, lots to get through today. Let's uh, tackle that first one then. Well, this question came from a mother of four who has one son at university at the moment, two recently graduated and another heading there very shortly. You know, the cost of the university education has concentrated her mind because there haven't been many lectures, there haven't been many tutorials. Now, it all started with COVID-19 and the law said you couldn't mix. Students went home, they did online tutorials, etc. But since then, there have been strikes by lecturers and some students haven't been able to graduate this year because their exam papers and dissertations haven't been marked. So there is the question, should they get a refund and how do they get it? Now, graduate has paid a minimum in England, a minimum of £27,750 in tuition fees alone. And if they don't get their exams marked, you might think they haven't had full value. Mm. And obviously they paid their living costs as well. But one legal firm is looking to help them. It says there's a contract between every student and their university. They pay for their course fees and they should be able to have in-person tuition, be able to use the libraries, be able to use other services. And a lot have not been able to get anywhere near those services. Quite often it started before COVID because of strikes. Strikes have gone on after COVID, but this company called Harkus Parker has set up a student group claim and that's available on studentgroupclaim.co.uk and there's another legal firm, Assassin, that's part of this and they've got lots and lots of students already signed up mm. and it costs nothing to sign up. It's a no-win, no-fee scheme. So if you get compensation, you pay money to them up to 35% of your compensation now, the company reckons that the average student will get £5,000 back. Now, that's quite useful, particularly if you've just graduated and you're going into your first yeah, job. Very useful. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if you don't want to go on a big claim like that, you can claim individually to your university. Already, universities have made more than a million pounds in compensation to people. You claim to the university, say what you didn't have, didn't have your tutorials, you couldn't use the library, you couldn't use the labs, whatever it is you couldn't use over the period. And particularly if people haven't got their degree grade yet, 
apply to the university and then if they refuse you can go to the office of the independent adjudicator for higher education now they're like an ombudsman mm. and they are helping people get money but at the moment 90,000 students have joined the group claim and as i say it's a no fee you get started you may not get any money but you might as well give it a chance absolutely the problem is and um, where students or parents of students if they're doing it for them will see the differences you can't really claim for places being locked down because of COVID, because the law required them to be. But some students are finding three years after the pandemic went large that they're still not getting in-person teaching. Whether this is because of strikes, sometimes it's because everybody who worked from home got used to it and therefore they don't want to work in a workplace anymore. So that's one of the problems. But it's an issue and it's affecting hundreds of thousands of students and their parents. And one of the thoughts is if you get some compensation, should you pay off your student debt? Now, the majority of current and previous students don't pay back their full loans over the 30 years they have to do so. Unless they're earning a lot of money, no point in paying back the debt early. But from September, the time you have to pay your loan back is going up to 40 years. So you graduate age 23 or 22 and you're paying back your debts till you're 62, That's 63. It's a long, time, it a back, long, long isn't time. Yeah, absolutely. And currently they pay back when their salary is over 27,295, whereas from September, they'll be paying back after they earn 25,000. So it's going the wrong way, really. And the calculation is that if you're earning 25,000 as a starting salary, you probably won't pay back your full debt. Mm. But anyone earning more than that, one example from... Um, AJ Bell, who've done all the figures, is that if you have a starting salary of 35,000, which is a good salary for a student or a new graduate, you're likely to pay back 102,852 pounds if you borrowed 50,000. Now that is more than yeah. double. So if you're at that level, and that is the group that the middle earners who are likely to benefit most by paying off their loan earlier, higher earners, those on 55,000 plus, they may only repay 67,269. So it's the middle earners that will pay back more than the high earners or the low earners. So low earners don't do anything and yeah. people who've got the debts already don't do anything. Are you locked into that 30, 40 year payback then? Can you pay back early, Mrs. Mean? Oh, absolutely. You can pay back early and you need to do the calculations. As I say, AJ Bell have done some calculations, mm. but you need to do the calculations to make sure that by paying it back and the interest rate is given each September and it depends what the interest rate is. If you could stop paying that interest rate at the moment, most loans are, are expensive, so it may not be there. It's a matter of doing the sums. And if the student loan is getting in the way of you getting a mortgage, then maybe you and your parents can sort out how you're going to do it because the bank of mum and dad is still open. Lovely stuff. Thanks for that, Mrs Mean. You're listening to a Mrs Mean special today. It's a clinic. Yes, we've had a lot of questions come in on a number of the podcasts we've been doing. Uh, the next one came in, of course, from a regular Mrs Mean podcast listener asking the question to you, Mrs Mean, when will be the best time to buy a house? 
Well, this listener sold her home a year ago because the mortgage was becoming unaffordable. But after 30 years as a homeowner, she wants to get back into the property market. And um, she's already found that renting isn't the best thing because she's had to move from one property to another because the landlord was selling up. I'm afraid there is no one answer that suits everybody. But there are things to consider. Nationwide and Halifax have both reported that house prices are beginning to fall. But we have to remember that they increased 60% in the last 10 years. So if you own a house now, you've probably in the last year lost 2.5%. It's gone up 60% in the previous 10 years. So don't panic. The main long-term price driver is supply and demand. So we're not building enough houses, so property prices are not likely to collapse. The likes of Nationwide say there's likely to be a correction rather than a collapse in the market. And so that's something to consider. And all the way through, you're buying a home. You're not buying an investment. That's right. And that's really what you've got to think about. If you want to know where to buy, Zoopla is wonderful. When I'm bored or don't know what to do, I'll look at Zoopla and say, oh, I didn't know they got that for that house in this street. (laughs) You can check average prices going back quite a number of years and see what's Mm. happened. Local employment changes have a big influence on property prices. When I lived in Sheffield years ago, one of the big four banks set up a major centre there and it really benefited me because my house went up 30% in two years because there are a lot of people wanting modest houses in Sheffield. House prices in June were falling in 24% of local authority areas. All right, they're falling. They're not falling off a cliff. They are falling modestly and And it also depends what sort of property you want. Many people are working from home quite a few days a week. Detached properties increased by 26% since the beginning of the um, pandemic. Between 2020 and 2022, Mm. that's 78,000 average increase on a detached property. Even last year, they went up 6%. Flats haven't gone up so much, so they haven't got so far to fall. The Land Registry reckons the average price of a property in the UK rose by 9000 between April 22 and April 23. That's a 3.5% year-on-year increase. So they're still going up according to the Land Registry Mm -hmm. and that is the most reliable statistic because it's actually on the price attained, not the one that the estate agent says cash buyer, you know that properties are still worth buying because cash buyers are circling. 70% of prime central London properties were sold for cash. Now, these are very expensive properties, but when the market's sticky, they've got an advantage because somebody who um, wants to sell urgently or is frightened of prices falling will take cash and Mm. they get their place off the market. The bank of mum and dad or grandma and grandpa is also influencing cash buyers and people who inherited a property, they become cash buyers. It means you've only got half the transaction. You haven't got to sell one and buy one. Mm. That makes you attractive. That makes this listener attractive. Price falls, different people are predicting different things. Official budget responsibility reckons 10% over the next two years. That isn't a major fall when they've gone up 26%. So be realistic. People were buying when they were whooshing up, and so they shouldn't worry about buying at 5% cheaper. Knight Frank, the estate agent, it reckons a drop of 5% this year. That's a sort of level. And as I say, they've gone up so much more in the last two or three years that by the end of 2025, it will probably even out to be the average of what price has been in the last few years. So we look at it. The number of mortgage applications hasn't declined yet. And that's an indication of consumer confidence. Some of that will be people saying, oh, 
we can afford it now. Market was going up so much. We were frightened that we were going to be mm. struggling. There is some income growth that is reported at 7.3% on average at the moment. So people aren't losing their jobs at the moment. We're not in recession. That would affect the property market. It's taking a bit longer. If you are in a traditional having to sell a property and buy a property, it's taking 55 days to do it. What are the main considerations, yep. Mrs. Mean, when you are buying a property? You're looking to get that, uh, that dream home of yours. Are you driven by a desire to create change? Dive into From Passion to Purpose, where we unlock the stories of nonprofit trailblazers. Get inspired as leaders share invaluable tips and transformative tales that empower you to make a lasting impact in your community. Tune in and ignite your passion into purpose today. Well, you've got to think where you'll be working, where you want your children to go to school, what you need the property for. Can you buy a property now and improve it in the years to come when your finances are better? You know, buy somewhere, but you look at it, oh, it's got a good garden. I might be able to add on a wing or whatever. Buying the cheapest property in the street has always been the best way of getting better value if the property is sound. So you buy a small property in the street, build on the back and you've got a bigger property on the street and really it's all location 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 we've all heard that from a particular program brand new properties usually are sold at a premium the builders made a profit they look immaculate people are sold by the curb appeal or whatever they go in and they oh and you're paying top dollar for the kitchen equipment so that is not the way to buy necessarily but if you're thinking about buying the first thing is to get your finances in order so that you are seen as a safe borrower absolutely the person who has sold a property already and is looking when to go back in you do your research you find out what properties have done what your family's going to do are you buying when you've got a house full of teenagers and in three years time going to have no teenagers and have too big a house you've got to think what your property is fit yeah. for it's your home a lot to consider you know, yeah it is but make yourself into being a safe borrower. Okay, you're listening to a Mrs. Mean Money Show special, of course. Uh, Mrs. Mean, if you've got an idea for a future podcast, do get in touch with us via the website, mrsmeanmoneyshow.co.uk. There's a contact the show button at the top of the page. But today's episode is a bit of a clinic. We're taking a look at some of the questions that have come in via the Mrs. Mean Money Show website. And another one here, Mrs. Mean, and you get this question about once a week. Uh, I know from customers who feel they've had a, a bad deal through delays, mis-selling, or from having their bank accounts frozen. Should I sue my bank or broker? Yeah, most of the customers who um, ask me this question are very angry. It's not because they've lost a lot of money or anything, but it's the time they've been taken. They feel they've been insulted or patronised, and it's taken them so long to get things sorted out that they want to get their own. They want to get revenge. But I would say half the time I say to people, recent one was an energy company where something had gone wrong and been offered so much compensation. They thought they should have more. And I had to go through and say, well, are you sure you've lost that much? You need to get an expert to say how much you've actually lost. Don't you want to get on with your life? Because you could make this your life's work. And I hear so many people who are angry with banks in particular, and they just make it their life's work to get revenge on them. Leave it. But yeah. overall, if you are wanting to take cases forward, have you suffered a financial loss? Can you prove it was the financial organization's fault and not something you've done? 
Have you not, you know, ignored something? A surprising number of financial institutions settle claims instantly when a small claims court claim is made. You can do this online and it costs as little as £35. Big banks don't want to incur the cost of defending a case and the possibility of adverse publicity. So if you think, yes, I have got valid loss, you can make a small claims court case. You don't need a solicitor. But equally, if you've lost money and it's a financial organisation, it might be worth turning to the Financial Ombudsman Service. They are good. They cost you nothing. I hear from people who I recommend the Financial Ombudsman to, and I hear back from them and say, I'm surprised. I thought they'd be on the Mm -hmm. company side. I actually got some compensation, and I actually got more than I expected. So it's worth considering. And if you bought a product that's faulty, you might be able to get compensation under the Consumer Credit Act. If the item costs £100 or more under the Consumer Credit Act, you can make a claim through the credit card that you paid for it with, and they go on to the retailer and say, we want you to pay this back. And that works really smoothly. So you don't have to sue, but you may have to. Mrs. Mean, if somebody finds themselves in that situation, I mean, where do they actually physically start? Because, you know, you know your stuff, you know where to go. What's the first port of call for a lot of people? Well, you can look online. There's lots of information about um, making a small claims court claim. There's stuff on citizens' advice. Most of the debt charities, etc. They have information telling you what you need to do, what information you'll need, explaining what the costs are. And, you know, you've got to think about, was it poor service? Was it a faulty product? Are you owed a refund? You can go to the small claims court if you haven't been paid wages that were in your contract. There are things and there are charities that will help you. But online, if you say, can I sue my bank or how do I use a small claims court? There's loads of information. And you can online find articles that I've written in the past, which people write to me about and say, is this still the case? And it's Mm. fairly cheap. Most intelligent people do not need a solicitor. And that costs money. If it's a thing about the quality of something, you know, has the job been done well enough by a builder, then you might need to pay a technical expert. But the fees for that will come back to you. But you've got to be sure. Have you explained exactly what you wanted doing in your kitchen? Is the green on the walls quite that hideous that you think? Are you sure you didn't choose that colour? You've got to ask yourself a lot of questions because your life's for living, not for pursuing a claim that you may not win. And as I say, I speak to so many people who are exhausted by something like this, but once they started it, they won't give it up. So you really have to think up front whether it's worth doing, how much is going to be involved, can you genuinely say it was their fault? And you also have to remember, if you're dealing with not high street banks, but if you're dealing with a smaller company, have they got the money? Will they pay it to you straight away? You may have to pay for it to be enforced. Now, if you have to use a bailiff, you'll get the money back. But overall, it all adds to anxiety and annoyance and some claims um, happen and the companies cause problems for lots and lots of customers. Essentially, you have to decide whether it's worth it, how much you think you've lost, whether you can prove that easily without having to pay an expert to back your story. And if you are absolutely certain that you've lost 
lots of money and they're not going to pay you it, then it's worth trying through the small claims court. But as I said earlier, ombudsmen are wonderful. They are free. You have to Mm. put your case together, but you have to do a lot less. And you're not going to have a lawyer against you. Whereas if you take it to small claims court, you don't need a lawyer. But often big banks, etc., will pay a very expensive lawyer to argue against you. So it's worth thinking about it. But Revenge is supposed to be a dish served cold. But overall, I think your best bet is to Mm. try and get over it, appeal to the better nature of whichever organisation it is and say, come on, offer me something. I've seen so many people who have made it their life's work to get compensation from somebody. And when they get it, they're not satisfied even then. They still hate the bank or the Mm. uh, stockbroker or whatever. All right, so be like Mrs Mean. Be like a dog with a bone. Don't give up when it comes to getting your money that's owed to you. So, brings us to the last item on today's Mrs Mean Money Show clinic. And uh, this one came in from somebody I actually know, a guy called Nick. Nick, if you're listening to the podcast, hello to you. He's asking... question. Uh, Lots of people are continuing to cut their energy costs and want to know what are the best ways of saving money. Is it cheaper to use a gas oven, Mrs Mean, or an air fryer? Air fryers are big business now, aren't they? They are, and a lot of people have moved, particularly from electric ovens to air fryers, because the difference between an electric oven and an air fryer is quite considerable. Energy prices went down at the beginning of July. Gas is now about 8p a unit, and electricity is 30p a unit. Electric ovens cook slower than gas ovens. Gas burns at a higher temperature. Calculations from the Energy Saving Trust reckons that a gas oven costs on average 17p per use. Electric oven costs 25p per use. quite a difference then. And an air fryer is 7p per use. Now, one of the things with air fryers, they're small and therefore they heat up quickly. And you have to take into account the cost of buying the air fryer. You've got an awful lot of oven uses before you use it. I know people who think they're really good, but they only really are good for cooking a meal for one of people. And they don't do the full Mm. joint, roast potatoes, bread sauce, etc. They only do a small amount. You can't really get a turkey in an air fryer, can you? It's a bit impossible. (laughs) I would think it is impossible. I've not tried it. But overall, the air fryer is cheaper. Gas oven is 17 pence per use. That's all pretty good. And the biggest saving to me is with a gas oven, if you're cooking a joint, you can probably cook another dish for later and freeze it, or you can cook your pudding in there Mm. or your supper and use all the heat. Whereas an air fryer, you're not going to be able to cook a quiche and a roast and um, a pudding, whereas you can easily in an oven. So the main thing is to organise your oven so you use all the energy you've used and Actually, per item cooked, it's probably going to be cheaper than an air fryer. But it really depends how much you need to cook, how many you're cooking for. Family of three or more, the gas oven is going to be cheaper. If you are cooking for one or two people and you're only keeping a, a cooking a simple mm. thing, then the air fryer is likely to be cheaper. But as I say, you've got to pay for the air fryer up front as well. So um, it gave me quite a, yeah. a nice problem to sort out and it made me think about it. And I know with my electric oven, when I do use it, say for Sunday lunch, I do make sure all three 
shelves are full of things to cook. Absolutely. And do some batch cooking as well. We've spoken about yeah. batch cooking quite a bit on the Mrs. Yeah. Mean Money Show podcast yeah. series. So if you can batch cook and freeze some stuff, might well be worth thinking about in the future. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks very much for those questions that have come into the Mrs. Mean Money Show. Uh, nice to hear from you. If you do have a question, and we can, uh, of course, answer, do get in touch via the website. It's Mrs. Mean Money Show. UK. Go to the Contact the Show page and uh, we will then collate all the questions that come in. And Mrs Mean, we could do another clinic, couldn't we, in the future? We could, and it really depends. I mean, those were three different questions, but they're ones that come up. Mm. And I think... I want to help people. That's why I do this. And I've said before, if people tell me what they need to know, or occasionally, as the gas oven versus air fryer, it made me think, and it may help other people to think about how they use things when they're cooking, because even though we're in the summer months, we'll soon be getting high energy bills again, and uh, we need to save wherever we can. Got to say, I'm cooking on the barbecue at the moment. Did a lovely bit of uh, lamb last night, so we had balti lamb and some potatoes, and it was lovely on the barbecue, Mrs Mean. Really good. You would have loved I'll be, it. I will be coming over. If only petrol wasn't so expensive. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much for your questions on that. As I say, if you want to get in touch, uh, details coming up in just a moment. Uh, Mrs. Mean, thanks very much for that. Uh, check out the other uh, episodes in our series. Lots to uh, give you some food for thought on the Mrs. Mean Money Show podcast, all about saving money, putting the money back in your wallet, back in your purse, back in your bank account. It's uh, all about saving what you can in this tough time in the current cost of living crisis. Mrs. Mean, whatever you do, stay mean, won't you? Of course. You've been listening to the Mrs. Mean Money Show. If you have a suggestion for Mrs. Mean to get her teeth into, head over to mrsmeanmoneyshow.co.uk and get in touch via the Contact the Show button. Join us next time and don't forget to listen to the other podcasts in this series and be sure to hit the subscribe button.